welcome to The Disability, a podcast where we have candid discussions about all things related to disability, short-term, long-term, financial claims, impact on other areas of life, causes in the workplace, and more, with your host, Attorney Angel Burgess. You can find this show at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now here's the host of The Disability, Angel Burgess. Hello, and welcome to The Disability. Today we are so excited to have with us an estate planning expert, attorney Sarah Watchko from the law firm of Hill and Watchko. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Well, we are so excited to learn. We've got so many questions. Um, so I want to just jump right into things and ask you, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Sure, absolutely. So I am an attorney here in the metro Atlanta area, and I've been practicing in this field for, I think it's been about 14 years now. I am a local. I grew up in the Atlanta area, went to law school, undergrad in law school in the Carolinas, and um, graduated in 2008 and headed back home. So I've been engaged in this sort of work since then. Wonderful. So what what is estate planning? You know, we hear that term all the time, but not exactly sure what it means. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, I always feel like when I meet people in the wild and they ask what I do, or they'll say, what type of, oh, you're an attorney, what type of law do you practice? They say estate planning, and they're like, ah, yeah, okay. Like, they don't really understand what it means. Um, right. Until you break it down into its parts, which is thing, which are things that people are more familiar with. Um, essentially, estate planning um, revolves around getting documents in place um, in the case of one's passing away or incapacity. So the terms then become familiar. We're talking about last will and testament wills, uh, trusts, powers of attorney, advanced directives for healthcare. So essentially we're, we're you know, spending time sitting down and talking about these scenarios that, that can be difficult to deal with, but um, we're engaging in planning to make sure that we have as many bases covered as possible um, should the worst happen. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. I definitely recognize a lot of those terms, um, especially like wills and, and, and trusts. So with kind of the state of the world right now, I mean, we are just kind of coming out of COVID, depending on who you ask. Um, how has COVID and this pandemic, how has that affected, you know, state planning and people's intentions? Sure. COVID was a, an interesting phenomenon in a myriad of ways, but certainly in our in our practice, like a lot of um, business owners during that time, you know, March of 2020, when everything shut down, we thought, oh, geez, like we can't have people coming into our office to meet with us. Are we going to have clients? And so like most other people, we quickly learned what Zoom was and, and created our own accounts and got um, got online. And, and what we found, unfortunately, I mean, it's good that people are doing good planning, but unfortunately, COVID was a reminder that regardless of, of what age you are, regardless of your health condition, um, things happen. And if we don't plan for them, then it looks it looks really ugly. And 
individuals who are younger are is, are less likely, not surprisingly, to have an estate plan in place, to have a will, to have a power attorney, to have a health care directive, um, because, you know, we don't think that it's going to happen. We don't think that it's likely. So COVID, in, in terms of our practice, really seemed to be a reminder that regardless of how old you are, regardless of how wealthy you are, regardless of how healthy you are, you can do a giant service um, to your loved ones, to your family, um, with this pretty straightforward planning. Okay. And you know, kind of speaking of age, um, you know, we are also at this point in time now where we're seeing um, a lot of baby boomers that are you know aging out of the workforce. Um, so, so what are some of the issues that you see? that families are facing now as they're dealing with their aging loved ones? Sure, we see we see all sorts of things. I kind of think of my estate planning clients, individuals and families we help, um, they come in different buckets. So it's not uncommon for us to do planning for a young family. You know, you've gotten married, you've just had your kids, you know, you don't really know what it, how it all works, but you know you need a will, you know you need to have a guardian for your children, your minor children, something happens. So we get a fair amount of um, families doing that sort of planning. And then it's kind of a forget about it. Like, okay, we're going to shove it in the cabinet. We're not going to think about it again until some other major life change, change happens. And often that major life change is what you're describing. It's those retirement years where folks kind of have the opportunity um, to slow down and to reevaluate financially and otherwise um, the next phases. And, and that's when people will pull out that will from 1992 and say, oh, we've got, you know, great aunt Jenny as the guardian and our kids are now in their 30s. And we've got, um, you know, we've got Uncle Mark as trustee and he's not doing so well anymore. So um, people will start to realize and, and that's a major issue that we see in estate planning is documents that haven't been appropriately updated. So so people will start to realize, oh, shoot, it's time to it's time to transition here. Um, we're dealing with, we're talking to a lot of families, individuals and families who are in what we call the sandwich generation. Um, so they are still taking care of their own children, getting their children grown through college on their own feet financially as their own parents um, are fading and needing more hands-on assistance and care. So um, it's not uncommon for our planning to relate to a an individual or couple and also their own parents who are facing more um, more direct issues kind of at that time in their life when they're not able to manage things for themselves anymore. Um, so the, the baby boomers, I think, are defined as those born between 1946 and 64. So that would make, if my math is correct, that would make our oldest boomers uh, 76, turning 76 this year. Um, so it's, it's the, you know, the largest, what I've, what I've heard anecdotally, the largest transition of wealth, generational transition of wealth, um, in human history as the baby boomers age and, and their wealth shifts down. And that can mean, that can mean a whole myriad of things, um, in terms of how that plays into family dynamics. Unfortunately, financial abuse and elder abuse is on the rise. And, and that is a very, um, you know, vulnerable population. If you've got 
um, a higher risk of cognitive decline and also, you know, the vast amount of American wealth in your pocket, then you're a, a you know, great, unfortunately, a great target. So our planning often revolves around, well, it can revolve around any of these things. It, it's um, when we meet with an individual or a family, you know, the first thing we want to do is get to know them, um, what challenges they're facing, um, what's important to them. Um, so planning to protect from taxes that they don't have to pay, financial abuse, protecting themselves, protecting their families, protecting the inheritance for their kids, making sure we hear this a lot, making sure things are as easy as possible. People will come in and I'm, you know, I'm kind of fishing around trying to identify their goals and they'll say, well, I just want to make sure, you know, when my aunt died or when my mom died, it was just a mess and we had to do all this stuff. And how can I make it easier for my family? How can I make it easier for my loved ones? So we spend a lot of time talking through that, um, trying to make sure. And then there's a whole nother aspect of this planning, which is the incapacity portion. So what happens, and this was big during COVID, what happens if I become sick and I'm in the hospital and I'm on a ventilator, I can't communicate, who can make decisions for me? And if I'm in a coma, you know, what are my preferences? Would I want to be kept alive indefinitely or not? So this is where we help people with an advanced directive for healthcare so they can make these decisions and appoint their agent. Um, on the financial side, the legal side, we help families with the power of attorney document so that they can name someone to handle really any financial, legal, business, contractual, anything I can do, you can do for me is what I always tell people um, with the power of attorney. So those are kind of part of the package when we're sitting down with people and helping them uh, plan for the future. So what would you say would be you know, the best age, and this is a hard question, but, you know, the best age to start, or, or maybe not even age, but maybe the best stage in life mm -hmm. to start estate planning? Um, it's a good question. It's a really easy one because I can answer like 18, <laughs> um, <laughs> which would surprise a lot of people. You know, it's, it's funny with those either getting closer to or young retiree clients, they often have young adult children who are not married yet. Um, so one of the things that we talk about is when your kid turns 18, legally they're an adult, you do not have the right to their information, you do not have the right to make healthcare decisions for them if they're in an accident or incapacitated in that way. So at the very least, even an 18 year old could have a power of attorney and a healthcare directive if they want to name um, their their parent to make those decisions, which often they will until they settle down in their own life and they have a friend or a partner or a sibling who, who they want to do it at that time. Um, so that always kind of surprises people. And especially in the special needs world, if you think about um, the special needs child, especially if there's a lot of medical issues or a lot of meeting with healthcare providers, therapists, as soon as that kid, doesn't matter if they have special needs, as soon as that kid turns 18, they're an adult and the provider can't talk to mom or dad anymore. So to the extent that that child is able to, signing those documents then um, is really important. And from there, you know, I, like I said, it's always, for us, it's always major life changes that will bring people in. It's having the baby, it's the baby graduating, it's retiring, it's getting divorced, God forbid there's a death, and then, you know, on into aging, um, sometimes there will be an issue, you know, we've, we've downsized into a senior living community, or we've got a diagnosis of cognitive decline that we need to deal with. I think a good rule of thumb is to 
every three or five years, at least pull it out and take a look at what you've done and say, does this still make sense? And what's changed significantly? Do these people still make sense? Um, but otherwise, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of young families, even with kids, don't get this done because none of us think anything bad's going to happen. And of course, we hope it won't. But it's such a heartache. It's such a, an ordeal for families with minor children if the worst happens. And there are a lot of things that people take for granted. Um, like, for example, I might think my spouse will inherit my property, but that's not what Georgia law says if I die with minor children. They get some of that too. And it gets really complicated when you own your home with your spouse and or when you own your home with your minor children. So lots of reasons to plan as early as possible. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. And now I'll, I'll say, and maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I'm kind of guilty of, you know, oh, all right, I've got my will that I, you know, had drafted when when my first child was born and it's been, you know, 15 years and I haven't done anything to update it. So, I mean, I think that's, that's really good information. Yeah. And I would imagine a change in financial mm -hmm. situation or circumstances um, would probably also warrant doing some updating as well. Absolutely. From, from several angles, one might be just what, I had a great conversation with a new client this morning about um, what folks will sometimes refer to as generational wealth, which is, you know, to the extent I am able to leave money for my children, what do I want that to look like? Right. Um, you know, I'm of the mindset that we we develop purpose and value in life um, from, from contributing somehow to the world. And, and, you know, the fear is that if I leave millions of dollars to my children just outright without restriction is that going to impose is that going to impede their ability to to you know find that purpose and value in life so definitely as the numbers tick up uh those those questions become more prominent there can be some tax planning that's more relevant um, for a higher net worth clients the way properties owned and structured um, we sometimes get into trust planning. A trust is an alternative to a will where the mechanisms, um, the way that property ultimately passes to your loved ones um, generally can be made easier, more straightforward. And I think the more moving parts we have, real estate owned here or there, business interests, um, the, the trust becomes more and more relevant as well. Okay. And what about, you know, a lot of people will say when it comes to estate planning, they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't have anything, you know, to leave to anybody. There's nothing for anybody to fight about. Um, is that a true statement? Most people now, not everybody, but most people have something. Okay. And if you don't have something today, you might have something tomorrow. Even if it's your little old checking account, even if it's, you've got a house and a checking account. Um, even if it's not much, even if it's your car or your tangible personal property, things, you know, the, the complication doesn't actually, your level of complication doesn't actually always correlate with the, the dollar amount. So I um, handled an estate. It, it was an awful experience, but a good learning one very, very early in my career where folks were fighting about household furniture. Mm -hmm. um, in the estate world, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot of 
dollar value for people to have enough emotional connection to it to to really make things difficult. Um, and, and then the process can be difficult as well. In Georgia, if a minor child inherits more than $25,000, then they have to have a court appoint a conservator to take care of that money and follow really specific rules um, regarding how they can invest it, how they can use it. So by doing planning um, beforehand, we can avoid some of those technicalities that essentially just make life difficult. And what about, I would imagine there are situations um, where there are multiple children. So, you know, parent passes away and has five kids um, and maybe parent assumes, well, you know what, they'll just split everything that I have five ways. Um, it, it, I can tell you from what I've heard <laughs> that it's not always that easy. And sometimes um, some or all of the kids have completely different goals and needs um, for that house. Mm -hmm. um, so is that another place where, you know, estate planning is critical, even if all you have is a house and yeah. you've got multiple children? Yeah, absolutely. When, when you are creating a will, one of the most important decisions you will make is who your executor is, who is in charge. If you don't have a will in this scenario like one that you just described, that's one of the levels where the most fighting will occur. Who? Who's going to be the administrator? Because the administrator gets to make a lot of decisions. Okay. Um, so you got five kids, one house. You can easily see how there could be a dispute. And disputes mean time, money, headache, heartache. Um, so, so the will absolutely is important. And, and you can have a third party. So if you have five children, but you don't think any of those five children are appropriate or capable of serving, or if they're all minor children, for example, I can name a professional, a banker, a trust company, or an attorney, or a CPA, someone outside of the family who's disinterested. So that's a huge one. But then also, when you are putting a will together, we're helping you decide how much authority you want that executor to have. So if I want to name Will, my son Will is going to be the executor, and I know that Will and Emma Claire might argue, but I trust Will to make the decision. I can put that in his hands, and she can't say anything about it. So not that that totally eliminates the uh, opportunity for conflict, but at least you've eliminated the fighting over who's making decisions. Um, I, I got into the show, This Is Us on NBC, mostly when my husband would fall asleep because he wasn't interested. <laughs> so I finally caught up and finished it. And there is this great scene uh, towards the end of the series where the mother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. She has three grown children and, a, and has married, um, but their father passed away. So her husband is not their father. So that always creates interesting dynamics. Um, but she she makes a decision and she's got three capable children. She just decides, I want it to be this one for this reason. And she sits down around the table and she tells them and she tells them why. And I know um, from my perspective, having dealt with numerous estates um, and from the perspective of the attorneys who litigate in this area, that's kind of a, um, a golden rule is always 
you know, communicate as openly as you are comfortable communicating. So don't just say I picked Will, but I picked Will for this reason. And what Will says goes. And, and that's what mom wanted. I think when you take mom out of the equation or dad out of the equation, then that's when the kind of emotional um, backlog can bubble up. So anything we can do to prevent that and, and help families stay together is really valuable. So, you know, given that scenario, and I understand that in the show, you know, there's there's a will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I know that a lot of times people will, will do things like they'll say, oh, well, you know, I told my son Will what I want. Mm-hmm. And he, he's going to make sure that everything mm-hmm. goes the way that mm-hmm. I want. But there's nothing in writing. So, so right. can you speak to what effect that has? Yeah. Not a whole lot. <laughs> it's a nice sentiment. Um, that's that's pretty much it. When when someone is appointed, formally appointed, named, and then appointed as executor under a will, they take on legal fiduciary duties. So by naming will, by naming will in my will as my executor, I've I've given him the authority, but he's accountable. He's accountable to the other beneficiaries and he has to act in their best interest and he has to take care of the property and he has to make good decisions. He can't go sell that house to the next door neighbor for $10. Well, he could, but then he has breached his duty and his siblings can sue him. So that's kind of what keeps the fiduciary, the executor on track is that they're liable, they're responsible to the other beneficiaries. Versus if I say, well, I, I think he'll just do it. I'm not going to put it in writing. I told him what to do with the house. And he just do it. Well, he's not accountable to anyone. He has no obligation to do anything. Okay. And then you're not sure that your wishes are going to be carried out if you're just verbally, you know, telling somebody what no. your wishes are. No, certainly not. All right. So how, you know, how does all of this, impact a family that has an individual with special needs? Is there any different way to approach estate planning under those circumstances? Sure. Um, You know, just in terms of of planning and goals, I think that that shifts somewhat depending on the nature of of the the special need of of the family member and i think i've heard someone say like if you've met one person with special needs you've met one person with special needs like everyone is so different just like in the um in the typical population that that's the first thing we're we're kind of honing in on um one issue that becomes very relevant is eligibility for government benefits so if i have a child who is a grown an adult who could otherwise inherit and manage property finances on their own, but that would interfere with their eligibility for Medicaid or supplemental security income, then I have to draft, I have to make sure they get that asset or that property in a trust that meets the requirements for a special needs trust. That way they can still benefit from the inheritance without losing those benefits. And and the benefits could be providing long-term care, you know, healthcare, therapies, um, community situation. So it can be a life changing benefit that we don't want to lose. Um, so that's a big one. And then another another issue that comes up is just the individual's ability to ever take care of themselves physically or financially manage money for themselves. So even if benefits aren't necessarily on the table, we're asking, all right, is this child have 
Is this a situation where he or she will never be able to manage money and should always have someone else in charge versus not? So that becomes um, that becomes very relevant as well. Uh, special needs trusts are kind of the term of art. That's typically what we're putting together to make sure that one, the asset's protected, we've got the right person in charge of it, and it's not going to impact eligibility for government benefits. And there's different varieties and flavors, just like with anything we do, um, but that kind of that kind of sums it up. And at what point in time would you recommend that a family um, you know, consult with you or an estate planning attorney um, about a special needs trust, let's say for their almost 18 year old child? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the answer kind of gets back to the sooner the better. Um, even, even with a minor child, if something happened to mom or dad, then that could trigger eligibility for benefits that, that weren't there otherwise. Um, so we, we typically want to start that planning when the child is young and we do it in such a way that just like with any estate planning matter, when circumstances change, things change in the laws, in their life, um, we can make updates as needed. And I see that a lot. I see people will come in with the binder that they had completed at their attorney's office five or seven years ago. And we, we don't have the same people in play. We don't want that person as trustee anymore. We want to change this proportion, this amount. Um, I've seen scenarios where the special needs child needs more. They need more um, to keep them afloat financially than maybe a typically functioning adult child who can support themselves. And I've seen it flipped where because the special needs child situation is covered by Medicaid and supplemental security income benefits because of their living arrangement and they don't need a whole lot more, you know, then maybe it'll shift otherwise. So that becomes part of the um, part of the equation as well. Okay. And what about the family that says, I have a child with special needs or a young adult with special needs, but, you know, we don't have anything to go into the trust. Mm -hmm right now. So do we even need a trust? Yeah. Um, we, we go ahead we want to go ahead and set it up so that if something happens, it's there to receive funds. It's okay. not uncommon. And this is true um, with any family. It's not uncommon, especially for a young family who are still working and growing their wealth. There's not a lot to put in it now, but I might have a life insurance policy. So when I pass away, there's going to be, you know, X dollars that, that doesn't really exist technically now. But if I pass away, then that'll be a huge amount that'll go into that trust. So we can create it so that the vehicle already exists and okay. it pours over into that. Um, so sometimes the trust will just be part of my will. So I'll say if Sarah Watchco passes away, then a trust is established or I might establish it now. Um, it's not uncommon in a special needs family for grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle want to leave something for the child. And if I go ahead and set the trust up now, then there's a vehicle for them to do that so that they don't, uh, they don't impact government benefits either. Understood. Okay. So that, that's, that's great. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up about other family members, mm -hmm. early grandparents. I think a lot of times people forget that, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, grandma has will, um, written into her will. Yeah, so, happens a lot. And I learned at some point to always ask, because one time we did, we just did a will, 
and that was fine. But a couple years later, she called back and she said, oh, well, my my father wants to leave. And I was like, oh, well, now now we need to go set up the vehicle so that he can do that. So okay. I always like to and, and sometimes people always say, look, we know for a fact and no one else is leaving little Jimmy any money. We go, OK, that's fine. Then we can do it this way. But always have to check. And then, of course, uh, you know, you never know when something's going to happen to the parents. And so if, if they have life insurance, then you want to make sure that, you know, the child isn't going to be excluded for benefits. So absolutely makes perfect sense. Well, thank you so much for explaining. I've learned a lot um, <laughs> for explaining uh, some estate planning information. Is there anything else, like any tips, any anything that you want to leave the audience with as they're thinking about estate planning now? Yeah, I think I've hit on this a few times. One would be don't wait. And another would be don't do it yourself. Um, there are resources out in the world and, and I've seen it where, where someone did it properly through that, but that's that's um, not, not the norm. We spend a lot of time kind of cleaning up icky situations where it's just, it's a complicated area and these words have meaning. And so it's really hard to put a good plan together on paper when we don't know what all the words mean. Right. And people's intentions. I mean, you've talked about, you know, the fact that you will sit down and talk to the family about, okay, what do you want to have happen? Mm -hmm. right. And if you're going to some document online, you're not going to get those questions and it's not going to, you know, kind of right. trigger those thoughts like, oh, you know, I never thought about this scenario. Like me on WebMD trying to diagnose my headache, I should probably right. stay off. <laughs> Understood. It usually creates more more problems. Mm -hmm. um, doing that. So the same thing reigns true with with legal do it yourself type documents. Yeah, at least in this case, it it usually does. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us. Um, Pleasure. You for having me. Let the audience know how they can contact you if they have questions or want to consult yeah. or want to get started with estate planning. Absolutely. So um, our telephone number is 770-475-8041. So that's always a great way um, where you can find us on the web at www.estatelawga.com. That's E-S-T-A-T-E lawga.com. And do you help um, families across the state of Georgia? I do. Um, typically, it's in the metro area. We're located in a northern suburb, um, Alpharetta. So we get a lot of uh, clients from this area, but especially with, um, you know, the Zoom technology we discovered we were capable of using during the pandemic, um, yeah, our geographic touch has certainly gotten a bit wider. All right. Well, great. Thank you again so much for joining us. And we hope that you all have found this uh, session very informative and that you'll take action on making sure that you have your estate planning documents in order. This has been The Disability, and we will talk to you next time. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to The Disability with Angel Burgess. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others. You can catch prior episodes at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.